I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey man, here we are in your room again. Hey Danny. I How, love it. How's it going? I'm very well. Got a cool new jumper bought today in the Zara sale. It look, you look great. It Thanks. looks very nice. It's very, it looks very clean and very new. Um, and it's emblazoned with the logo of a famous film, Star Wars. Yep. I can see you're a big fan of Star Wars. Yep. Love Star Wars. <laughs> Got it on my jumper now. Um, you brought something to my attention recently, which I enjoyed very much. So back in the day, we have a long history in this podcast now. It's taken up probably a good third of my entire lifespan. And uh, back in the sort of dusty history of it, we used to talk about a, a film critic called Devin Faraci. We occasionally referred to his opinions because we read him quite frequently. And he wrote for Badass Movie Digest. And then when that rebranded as Birth Movies Death, he wrote for that. And uh, then his career collapsed after accusations of sexual assault. He had a kind of pussy-grabbing scandal. I think I think you might have been talking about Donald Trump on Twitter, right? And then like, yeah, a woman called him out and was like, you did exactly that to me once at a bar. Yeah, exactly. Trump is fine, but everyone who calls him out, their careers have imploded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's, his position was more vulnerable than Trump's. Uh, and then he replied something like, I don't remember that, but it sounds plausible or something very odd. And uh, then he lost his job and basically uh, vanished. And has only sort of periodically re- resurfaced in brief ways. But he is now back and he's got a new website, which he sent us a link to, cinemasanga.com, which he advertises as a film website and also like a, it's like from a Buddhist perspective. So he's now, he's embraced Buddhism. And uh, so he's sort of on this journey to to redemption. And it's quite quite something. Yeah. What, really... what did what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of poses a question like, what do you want from people who have been accused of sexual assault and admitted to it? Like he has, and like you know, he sort of has had a massive mea culpa about it. And it's like, what is the acceptable way for them to rejoin but... society, if at all? Yeah. And it's like his one is like almost like sort of I feel like his because uh, he was obviously a very divisive figure before this and he like had a lot of you know people who hated him and it's like they must be have so much schadenfreude now because he seems like he's joined a cult or something and come back not that Buddhism is a cult you know it's obviously an established religion but the way he talks about it is a bit like he was in a very he's come back a different man he's come back changed it's like this is like what would happen in a in a TV show. Yeah. Like, what's, what was that um, thing in Mad Men where the guy joins Buddhism? Yeah, Kinsey. Uh... Kinsey, yeah, it's like that, you know? Yeah. He just misses a season, then he's back, he's in a robe now, he's shaved his head, he seems like much calmer and more spiritual. You know, it's just some fun new direction for the writers to take him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. There is a, I don't think there's a socially um, prescribed route to take to, you know, return to society after you've had a scandal like that. But um, people were pointing out on Twitter, you know, that like, 
whatever it is, it should involve probably tackling these things head on rather than simply reappearing in a new personality and be like, and now I'm a good person. You, can't you tell from my white robes? You know, it's like I, I he was... has grown a beard, like a big Jesusy beard. Well, he had a big beard before. Has yeah, it become now it's even big? Like... It's even bigger. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, sorry, I'm in my Gandalf the White form now, <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. so uh, <laughs> I'm now ultra virtuous. <laughs> that, was, that was Devin the Grey. Yeah, oh, you, that's what they called me. You you read me back when I said anyone who didn't like um, like Avengers Civil War is like a fucking cunt who deserves to be murdered or something. And now I'm, I'm much more relaxed about things. I've got a very kindly outlook. He, he talks about how uh, he wants to you know create an atmosphere of um, peace, love and kindness and everything on his website. Um, there's I do recommend going on it and reading some of the uh, stuff on there. It's quite funny. I enjoyed the passage in the pinned post on the homepage of his website where he talks about the comment policy yep. he says i didn't choose the word sanger lightly um that's a buddhist term i don't recall what it means so explained earlier on in this post this is a community and that means interaction and discussion is important to me but i also understand that my past will draw trolls and angry people to leave hurtful and nasty comments here with that in mind i am instituting a comment policy that i think is clear and useful and comes from the buddha himself it's based on the concept <laughs> of wise speech as found in the eightfold path <laughs> say he's not just found spiritual enlightenment but also a great comment policy from, <laughs> from from the buddha he says when commenting ask yourself is this comment true is this comment helpful or is it causing disruption is this comment abusive is this comment being presented with kindness is this comment necessary at this time what a, you know yeah i mean it's just it is a bit silly isn't it it's all just a bit silly it reminds me there was a good article i believe i think it was in the pool uh, I will dig up this and tweet about it, but about um, the rush to like men are always going these sexual assault people have to they have to have counseling. I've got a problem, and it's like this, it's it's well he does talk this, about going on a twelve step program. Yeah, this, it, it is like an this addiction narrative right? of uh, you know actually I've got, I've admitted I've got a problem. I'll go fix that. And yeah, I'm yeah. back. I'm back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Some so, people have a drinking problems. My problem was being sexually abusive. So don't worry, I'm in the program <laughs> now. I'm the victim here. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. The only way this could get more insane is if he like has another meltdown and like, like <laughs> oh, Devin's back. <laughs> and, you know, burns his copy of Buddhist teachings and, you know. Yeah, he, he uh, reformats his website and the, the gentle white color is gone. The color scheme has changed. It's now it's like that angry red or something like that. He used to be on this podcast, The Canon, with um, Amy Nicholson. And he was, he like rang in on their, on their Christmas show and talked about how much he cried during The Last Jedi because it related so much to his life about you know, you got to save the things you care about, not kill the things you hate. And I'm like, I really don't think The Last Jedi is about you sexually (laughs) harassing somebody (laughs) and having a breakdown. Yeah, well, hey, that's how movies work, right? You see yourself in them. Someone was sharing on Twitter a bit of his review from Three Billboards and his reaction to it was exactly the same. It was like, it's really about how the people who do the worst things still have humanity within them. And you can still find a sympathetic way to look at them, even if they're really terrible people. It's like, that film's not about you, man. <laughs> Shape of Water. Everyone needs love. <laughs> even somebody whose society has cast away. <laughs> even someone who's been banished to an aquatic realm and won't be accepted. Because even someone who eats cats should be accepted by the rest of society and deserves love and sex from a beautiful woman. Yeah. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. But 
What's more entertaining is this podcast, <laughs> but I've forgotten what it's about. What Sam, a, do, you, what do, a, you, do you know? What a killer segue. I do know what it's about, Danny. I'm glad you asked. This is a podcast all about uh, you and me. Uh, we are the two sons of King Talius in the kingdom of Morn. We are warriors. Uh, you, Danny, uh, you are dashing in skills, whereas I am lazy and ineffectual. While celebrating his latest victory over the evil sorcerer Lizar, who has been ravaging Talius's kingdom, Danny introduces the virgin Belladonna, whom he has freed from a tower and wishes to marry. Though Danny makes me the best man, I skip the wedding after overhearing Danny's knight's elite talk about me negatively. They do not say nice things about me. The wedding is then crashed by Lizar, who reveals himself to be the one who placed Belladonna in the tower. Lizar kidnaps her and flees. Returning to the castle with my servant, Courtney, I am given an ultimatum. Join Danny on his quest to rescue Belladonna or be banished from Morn. Awful. What a fate. What a terrible fate were before me. If this was a pod adaptation of the 2007 film Your Highness, directed by David Gordon Green, starring Justin Theroux and uh, James Franco and that other, you know, uh, Danny McBride. Danny McBride and people like that. Natalie Portman and stuff. <laughs> so it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster and joining me is Danny Moran. He's like a fucking hot knight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's what it says in my Tinder bio. I'm just like a fucking hot night. <laughs> if you want a fucking hot night, swipe right on this fucking hot night. Anyway, this this week, we'll be discussing Duncan Jones Mute, the latest Netflix The latest Netflix release. Is it as good as the Clayville Paradox? Or is it as good as Bright? Or is it as good as a ridiculous six? Or is it even better? <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. I'll also be giving Sam the lowdown on my latest movie date with my mother, where I went to see the film Finding Your Feet, a film as gentle and as slow as the audience who watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we discussed the latest exciting news about the Bond franchise and the actually exciting news of a film about Bob Geldof uncovering a murder in the 80s. All of which should give me just enough time to deliver an angry rant about the news that Jennifer Lawrence switched off Phantom Fred after watching just the first three minutes. Listen, fucking J-Law, I sat through the entirety of fucking Passengers, and you can't sit through more than three minutes of the best film of last year and this year, depending on where you live. I mean, what the fuck? Are you allergic to good movies? Oh, wait, I've just checked your IMDb page. You obviously are. Uh, trivia. Trivia. You're allergic to greatness. You expect me to go see fucking Red Sparrow where you're like some sort of sexy Count Chocula? (laughs) I'm not not watching it. I can't trust the opinion of someone who worked with David O. Russell three times. I'm I'm going to periscope myself watching exactly one minute of Red Sparrow (laughs) and then walking out of the cinema. Fuck you. Fuck you. But I'm a big fan. Maybe work with Deborah Granick again. I hear her new movie is very good. Okay. Okay. Part of redemption for her as well. Yes. Like, <laughs> like Farachi. Like Farachi. She too can find a way back into the light. We don't have any correspondence this week, but we could talk about a good video Danny made. Do you want to advertise your, your video? Sure, I made a good video. <laughs> it went I, viral, didn't it? It went viral. I think five people have liked it now. <laughs> Maybe six. I haven't checked in a while. I watched this video of Daniel Kaluuya on Stephen Colbert's show because I love Daniel Kaluuya and I want to see 
you yeah. know, he's just an insane guy. I always feel like you're close to calling him Kalua, like Kalua. rather than Kaluya. Yeah. Admittedly, Kaluuya. it's slightly harder to say Kaluya. But... Yeah, I keep on saying it. That yeah. is true. I think I have done that many times. <laughs> Kaluya. Yeah. Uh, you know, Posh Kenneth. And I saw him on um, Colbert's show talking about how the new version of the line, I would have voted for Obama three times, is I've seen Get Out three times. Yeah, which I think is very true. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about those movies. Like, it's hard to review without sounding like the dad from Get Out. Right, absolutely, yeah. But that, like, it stuck with me because then he was on the Graham Norton show and Alison Janney literally said, I've seen Get Out three times. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to put the two clips together to just point out I was hoping there was going to be... I, I went on a bit of a sort of YouTube wormhole and I was hoping there's going to be like millions of examples of like people telling Daniel that like he's... They've, they've seen free, Get Out a few times. times. I'm sure it's happened a bunch of times. What Jordan and me have kind of experienced is like... So he was saying a joke about, oh, I would have voted for Obama three times. Yeah. The new version of that is, I've watched Get Out three times. We must mention uh, your last movie for which you are Oscar nominated, Get Out. Yeah. Uh, now it, yes, look at you clapping. Because... <laughs> How many times have you seen this film? I've seen it three times. You've seen it three times. Get out! Yo! 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 In defense of Janny, she was asked directly by Graham Norton how many times she's seen Get Out. It's true. She didn't just volunteer it as evidence of her wokeness. Yeah, but, you know, I'd already thought of the video, so I just made it. That's <laughs> yeah, still, still a good video. Still a good video. Thanks. Five likes. Maybe you can get up to ten by next week. Get out there, people. Well, I'll retweet it on, on my other accounts. Yeah. Maybe we can Have you got more followers it. on your account than our account? I do have more followers, yes. What? I have about 80 more, so not that many more. Shit. Because I haven't made much progress in followers for a while, but Film Chat's been ticking up. Ticking up, people liking us. It's getting it's getting hot out there. Yeah. It's getting serious. We got. Um, I did get us at least one sort of pity follow after uh, we got to 500 and then we dip back down to 499. I was like, this has to change. I don't care. It's I don't like, care if you listen or not. I'm like a politician who'll take money from anybody. I'll take followers from any From fun, anywhere. From, from any community as long as on the internet. It away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I did have someone adding me on my other Twitter account being like, I, I don't I don't listen to podcasts, but I promise never to unfollow your podcast account. <laughs> wow. I was like, that's very nice, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. What a kind gesture. It's important to have that number. Yeah. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print Bond. James Bond news um, I love Bond news We love Bond. You've, you've probably got another uh, sweater that also just says James Bond on it. No, it's too it's too fringe for me <laughs> Anywhere the most mainstream, <laughs> Not mainstream enough. Um, so they've been struggling to get the next Bond film made, even though the last one kind of teed up more Bond movies, like, as, as they all do, as they as they all <laughs> as they all do. Um, but it has not. I guess it didn't set the world on fire as much as they were hoping for. It didn't get as good a critical reception. Yeah, um, it feels like the reviews were like pretty good at the time, and it's quickly considered to be bad. Does anyone even like Skyfall that much anymore? I feel Skyfall was just part of a sort of weird like 2012 fondness of like remember the opening ceremony in Skyfall and it was great being British. Someone bought that whatever. shit of Sam Mendes in interviews being like it's about England. And, yeah, yeah. You know, thinking about the country of England and it's about exactly. England. It's like, no, it isn't. Nah, it's shut, up, shut up, mate. Shut up, mate. Shut, shut up, up, Mendes. Anyway, so Mendes doesn't want to do it again. 
Daniel Craig was going in interview after interview to saying he'd rather reach his own legs than uh, play Bond again. So that's put a bit of a spanner in the works. I think there's like one interview where he's like, I'd rather slip my wrist. <laughs> well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? <laughs> that's very strong. <laughs> he was like yelling from the rooftops in his like Tom Ford uh, suits that he he's, he's going to jump if they if, if he gets one more fucking call from OGM. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so, so that's that's been a problem. But but then they sort of said, oh, they've got him back. You know, they they offered him like you know two million instead of one or something like that. So they might get might get Dan, Danny back. But anyway, so there's been a number of um, things swirling around this. The latest news is that Danny Boyle might be the director of the next Bond film. He is on a list compiled by MGM of the directors they want. He's the top of the list apparently. And um, John Hodge, who is a frequent collaborator with uh, Danny Boyle, has is working on a script or has written a script possibly yeah um, i think the the story i read was that he's somehow, got he's got a concept yeah somehow boyle and hodge uh, got together with broccoli and wilson <laughs> the, the producers of the bond franchise and they had come up with this idea for a bond movie and they liked so much they've sort of commissioned a first draft right and yeah. then if they like that they'll go ahead with the john hodge version but they've also got another draft from the regular collaborators, um, Purvis and Wade, who've written the previous, like, seven. Well, they probably just, like, cranked them out over a weekend. Yeah. I mean, they're such hacks. Of course they got a draft from them. I mean, they probably had it on the back burner for, like, years now. So, yeah, potentially, you know, if this script turns out well, it'll be that script. And they're hopefully, they're, you know, planning to coax Danny Boyle into the director's chair. Though he's previously said that he wouldn't want to do it because he doesn't like operating at those huge budgets i think he considers the beach to be one of his biggest mistakes it was a too big a project and he couldn't control it creatively and he works better in tighter smaller budgets where he has more oversight yeah but that was like that was almost 20 years ago now right so <laughs> yeah but he's, he's, had, he's still a little very more... nervous about <laughs> it <laughs> I feel like he's had a lot more time to hone him you know working at these and like slightly bigger budgets exactly and danny bull obviously has form in directing daniel craig as bond because he did that olympic opening ceremony skit where he escorted the queen to the stadium yes exactly so, so he's it, certainly spoken at least to daniel craig yeah. before six years ago he felt actually i'm on to, i'm pretty i like filming this man in a tux this could maybe be something i, I like do. i like this i like, I this. like having him in my uh, viewfinder <laughs> this is exciting i think i'm in favor of this only for the reason that it would be great to get those fucking script writers out of there I'm, i have no great fondness for the bond franchise but I, I would just, I hate those guys. I think they're just dreadful. So any any change on that front would be very welcome. Yeah. And I, and I just have that residual fondness for the idea of a spy franchise or just a spy film. Like spy films are fun, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I would like to see one that wasn't dreadful. Um, and, uh, you know, why not? Try something else. And Danny Boyle's not bad, is he? Yeah, and he's not, um, well... I don't know the man personally, but if the opening ceremony the is anything to go by, he's not enamored with like this kind of colonial imperialistic view of Britain. And what was so good about the 2012 is like this embrace this modern progressive view of Britain. And yeah. I feel like, you know, the Bond movies encapsulate like a very outdated nationalistic view. So I don't know if like how much he can bring, you know, a sort of modern perspective to it or whether that's just so ingrained in the DNA of the franchise that you kind of, like, get rid of the colonial aspect of it. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say the British self-image as portrayed by the Olympic opening ceremony is a much preferable one to the one portrayed by Bond movies. I think it'd be better if they got rid of Daniel Craig and got uh, Daniel Kaluuya instead. Kaluuya. Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe have Ben Wishaw do it. 
Yeah. Just have Daniel Craig die, keep it in the same universe. Yeah. And then just they upgrade. It's like Q, you're B now. <laughs> B O N D, Bond. <laughs> <laughs> you're B O N D, Bond. <laughs> Yeah, everyone gets an upgrade. <laughs> Money probably becomes M. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're M, that's it. <laughs> You're losing the O-N. M-O-N-E-Y. P-E-N-N-Y. You're M now. <laughs> yeah, this is a great idea. Big <laughs> alphabet rearrangement at the, the Bond headquarters. Sure. Why Bond, not? At Bond Co., where yep. Bond works. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen movies? <laughs> I haven't read this story. <laughs> I'm not that familiar with it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you have a Netflix account and are a fan of science fiction films, you may have come across the film Coherence, which I would really recommend. It's this brilliantly constructed little indie sci-fi film, which is predominantly set all in one room. And it is the closest to something like Primer, where the budget is very low and the concept is very big. And it was the debut film of a filmmaker called James Ward Becker and really announced him as a major talent because he wrote and directed the whole thing and he was a bit like Shane Carruth like this guy must be super super smart to have figured out this plot and uh (laughs) 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 big spreadsheet went into making this film very 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 clever and so people were obviously excited for his next project and it has been announced and it is pleasingly very strange it's going to be called Do They Know It's Murder and the film is set during the recording of the 1984 song, Do You Know It's Christmas, uh, obviously part of the Live Aid campaign. And uh, it's about Bob Geldof discovering a dead body while the recording's going on, and he must find out who killed the star without derailing the song. So he is the detective. He is the Poirot, and instead of the Orient Express, it's just the recording studio where they did Do They Know or, or It's Christmas. And instead of like, you know... Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Judy Dench is just like Banana Rama <laughs> and Paul Young and you know you two yeah and it sounds absolutely nuts is it clear from this whether all of the musicians will be, will be playing themselves <laughs> or are we to assume that actors will portray them yeah I mean it'd be it'd require a huge CGI budget to get all the actors you know it's just natural it's what they do now it's what they do now it's quite cheap there's a plug-in for that it's fine it's in After Effects yeah, so that sounds totally nuts. I mean, it does sound like one of those kind of crazy grindhouse movies, which, you know, probably had a fun trailer but might be shit. But the fact that he's doing it and Coherence is such a sort of well-made movie, a very coherently made film, that, um, you know, gives me a lot of hope for it. Yeah. Who would you cast as Bob Geldof? Um, Tom Hardy? <laughs> do you reckon he can do the accent? <laughs> I didn't think about that very much, Danny. <laughs> Give I us just... your fucking morning. <laughs> He talks. It's not really like that. How old was Bob Geldof at the Probably time? In his thirties, early thirties, late twenties. And he's gonna 30s. play Midge Midjeur. Who? Midjeur. Who's that? He's the guy from <laughs> uh He's the guy who wrote Didn't Know It's Christmas. Right. From that band. Shit. They did that song Vienna. She means nothing to me. Oh Vienna. <laughs> 
I'm just this is all this is all area of culture I'm totally ignorant of, you know. I don't know anything about this. What are they called Ultravox or something? That is a band's name. Yeah, I think that was them. Okay. But he's always forgotten about because Bob Geldof was more the face of the campaign. Yeah. But he was he like instrumental in like I think he produced it and you know got everyone together and What does he look like? Sort of like a Scottish man. A small Same, Scottish so, man. Um okay, got to get Billy Connolly. Thank you, Boyle. Maybe uh McAvoy and Fazbender. McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> Stars of X Men Dark Phoenix coming out this summer. <laughs> Very excited for that. Very excited. <laughs> 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 a little side <laughs> note there just to, just to document my excitement. <laughs> really well for that. Can't wait. Can't wait for that one. Maybe maybe they'll be good for this film as well, but Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah. I like the idea of like having a uh you know, murder at the manor mystery but just supplant it to a different place. Well, this does sound like a Red Nose Day sketch, doesn't it? Basically. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, it's, just, it's just pleasingly weird. Absolutely. And can't, how can you riff on something which is itself a funny joke? Exactly. How, we, we can't, we can't do, do it justice. We the, cannot. The news story is funnier than us. So my takeaway point from this would be watch Coherence on Netflix. It's very, very good. It's only 90 minutes and it's really worth your time. A message to the listeners and to me. Yeah. So I've not if seen you watch it. the Cloverfield Paradox, you're like, what the fuck is this? It's like, whoa, don't worry. There's a 90 minute sci fi film, which is actually good. You can just two clicks away. And it doesn't have like a bit at the end that explains Cloverfield. <laughs> no. no crap like that. Nah, nah, mate. Nice. 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 And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask punchingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. And now for the return of a popular segment. Danny's dates with his mum to see films that he feels pretty ambivalent about. <laughs> so I went to the cinema today with my mum. <laughs> Two amusing things happened before I went into the cinema. The guy sold me the tickets. His favourite film was Help, I'm a Fish. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's like this like early noughties 2D Disney cartoon about these people get turned into a fish. Did you have to look that up afterwards or did you know the meaning? No, it's kind of familiar with the title, but I, I was like, I've just never come across someone who's even mentioned that film. That's, ma- that's a maverick choice. And then the guy who took our tickets, his favourite film was The Greatest Showman. It just came out. Did both these guys just want to have movies that looked funny as badges for someone to wear? Maybe. You know, one guy's like, help on my fish. The other guy's just like, just, call, me, call me the greatest showman. They're just, they're just jokers. They're just great guys. Great jokers. Great lad bands. Anyway, so then we went to see Finding Your Feet. The plot is Sandra, played by Imelda Staunton, is a sort of well-to-do snob, not dissimilar to sort of Hyacinth Bouquet kind of type character who discovers her husband is cheating on her, which prompts her to go and stay with her strange sister Biff played by Celia Emery. She wants to wallow in her own misery, but eventually she comes out of her shell and part of the healing process involves her going to Biff's dance class, where she initially dislikes, but then has a growing affection for Charlie, played by Timothy Spall. Here is a clip of Melda Staunton entering Biff's flat and explaining the situation. (laughs) (laughs) Sandra! Mike's been having an affair with Pamela Harper, so I've left him. I tried calling your landline, but apparently you've changed your number. Years ago. Well, you might have let me know. I expect it's been cut off anyway, huh? Or perhaps you've buried it. I can only imagine what everyone is saying back home. Now, I know we weren't exactly in our honeymoon period, but I just imagined his libido had naturally declined with age, but it turns out he's been bonking her behind my back for over five years. Now, what has she got that I haven't got? She's a mistress, Sandra. It's a fantasy. It's all a blood. This is bloody real. I'm just going to offer me a drink. Oh, sorry. Um, 
Well, I've got peach brandy or grappa. Yes, please. Well, that should stop anybody rummaging in your drawers. I should be so lucky. Hello. Charlie, this is my little sister, Sandra. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Lady Abbott. Oh, honoured, even. Uh, all right, well, uh, sounds like you've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, I'll see you on Thursday, Biff. So Celia Imrie's character is called Biff. Yeah, it's like her name's Elizabeth, but like as a kid, she couldn't pronounce her name Beth, so she called her Biff, and that became a nickname. So I would say I was kind of surprised by this movie because the poster and trailer and title and premise <laughs> imply a much broader film than it actually turns out to be. And the the dancing bit, which I thought was going to be the whole point of the movie, it's going to be some sort of, you know, the oldies learn how to jive. Is actually a very small part of the story and what it's really about is this kind of quite a melancholic character piece about these group of individuals who are all like kind of crossroads at their lives and it's kind of like a coming of age story but they're just in their 60s which was a pleasant surprise really because there's only so many jokes i can have about people with bad joints or whatever before i just <laughs> want to kill myself <laughs> and usually with these films the scripts are just like total bobbins complete bobbins yeah and it just relies on the immense charm of these sort of you know fesps to like inject it with something and to a certain extent this is the case here and the cast is great like Imelda Staunton and Timothy Spawns they're all like these pros and they can basically inject nuance into the broadest possible strokes of a character and they are sort of doing that here but there is genuinely like a bit of material for them to work with and the plot is dictated by the character's decisions, which sounds like the faintest of praise. But usually in these films, they're just like ticking along to a structure. Whereas in this, there's a genuine attempt that they're real people with real lives. And it also, as part of that, it, it treats old people and people over 60. I feel like bad calling them old people because they're not that old. You know, they're not like 80. They're not like on their deathbed or anything. With... Old, old means my parents' age plus five years. Exactly. Um, it kind of treats them with respect and the characters live full lives and they socialize and they have sex and they don't just sit around, you know, watching Countdown and complaining about the good old days, you know, they're real people. But it also does deal with issues that do affect you in your old age, such as, you know, you have to attend your friend's funerals and there's a plotline with dementia, which is quite um, well handled. And I'm not sure if it does any of this in a particularly new or super memorable way, but it was never in poor taste and I appreciated the effort. So I would say it's a cut above the usual shit mm. I have to watch with my mum. The cast are very charming. Imelda Storden is great. She can basically do anything. She can play Dolores Umbridge. She can play a nice snob. It's all... <laughs> what a range. Timothy Spool has lost a lot of weight. He's kind of weird looking now. Yeah. It's freaked me out. He looks old. It's like the weight has put taken... That, put that fucking weight back on. It was, keep, it was keeping you young. Keeping <laughs> you young, I know. Uh, lost your baby fat. Yeah, Exactly. I don't really have much more to say about this film other than it kind of passed the time and I was uh, kind of charmed by it. I what's, thought it was fine. What's the Louise Moran take on this? She enjoyed it. There's a woman next to me who was like really tearing up. Oh. There's like a few sad bits in it. I guess like if you are of that age and something similar has happened to you in your life, you know, it's, really, imagine it's it. really appealing to the demographic and it was you know quite a full screening. So yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, there's obviously... I mean, a little bit of cynicism in that it was made for a very particular market and it has the things you need to sell a movie like this. But just a bit more care and love had gone into it than it wasn't just like tossed off, you know. 
It's also directed by Richard Longcrane, director of Wimbledon, my favourite movie of all time. So great film, an extra star just for that. So Wimbledon six bangs. stars. Wimbledon bangs, you say? Wimbledon bangs. <laughs> Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw You're gonna hear them in a moment or so There could be angry disagreements but their views are normally quite close A joint review shared between two podcast brothers Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin Start talking now so mute. This is the latest film from Duncan Jones, the director of Warcraft and Moon and Source Code. It is a Netflix-only release. Does it have any theatrical stuff? You got to watch Netflix. I think maybe like a few cinemas screened it. It's mainly, day, but, but it is mainly Netflix. And he's been trying to get this made for a while. Eventually, Netflix gave him the funding, and uh, it has now arrived. So it is set in uh, the future in Berlin. And it stars Alexander Skarsgård as Leo, who is a Amish bartender. After a childhood accident, uh, he is unable to speak. And he mute ha- even. He's mute. He is mute. I wasn't sure what the title referred to about three quarters of the way through the film. I finally clocked it. Oh, he's mute. That's why it's called that. Um, he has a girlfriend called Nadia, played by Seneb Saleh. And uh, she goes missing and he has to go and uh, track her down. And at the same time, there's a kind of parallel plot going on with Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux as a kind of bickering, semi-gay, it's not quite clear, sort of vaguely homoerotic couple of ex-soldiers who are surgeons who are also criminals. Um, they've gone AWOL from their duty. Yeah, they went AWOL from, from the army and they've set themselves up as like underground mob surgeons, basically. Of course. Here is a clip. Do you know what it is to make your dreams come true, Leo? I've seen you working downstairs. You're a good man. This barman should not punch the fucking customers. I don't deserve you, Leo. I love you so much, but you don't know me. I want to know what the deal is. With this crazy bartender. Sure you want our help with this? This kind of thing hurts my reputation. Daddy's gotta go. Oh, no soda. Your girlfriend has secrets. You lost me. Take a hint and fuck off. Not very talkative. Something's going on. You need to maintain a sense of humor, babe. You gonna give me some uh, trouble, big boy? Or are you gonna channel that famous Amish serenity? <laughs> so, this has come out to relatively poor reviews. I watched it. I watched it in a very modern way. I watched it in two different sittings on two different devices. Watched it partly on my laptop, watched it partly on my phone, watched it as I was kind of wandering about. If you think this is not a very detailed or clever review by me, the reason is that I might not have been paying full attention to certain parts of the film. But I would say that the film doesn't seem to be very good, so I don't feel like I was missing out that much. The film didn't hold your attention. Exactly. It's it's on the film. Well, the film had been really good. I probably would have watched it all in one sitting on my laptop on a big screen, paying full attention to it with my headphones on, and that would have been fine. And it's the film's fucking fault that I ended (laughs) up just sort of wandering around my flat, carrying my phone with the film sort of on on it. 
as I was like brushing my teeth or whatever. Um, so it's kind of an odd movie. So uh, Duncan Jones said that he wanted to, or he's like talked about, he's been trying to make this movie for a while and he wanted to make like his Casablanca or something. That was one of the things. And he obviously liked the idea of this sci-fi setting, which is heavily influenced by things like Blade Runner. It's got that kind of like dark neon soaked, hyper capitalized um, sort of dystopian society where it's always nighttime. It's always a bit miserable looking. People are gloomy, a lot of wacky hairdos and stuff like that. Weird fashion choices. Sure. And the setting uh, recalls both Casablanca and The Third Man. And it's this kind of cyberpunk noir. And that's basically the, the central idea. It's like, like Casablanca, it revolves around a, a grim bartender who's in love with a woman. And um, and like The Third Man, it's set in this like a cosmopolitan city. It's Berlin instead of Vienna, but it's kind of a similar thing. There's like a lot of soldiers around and, you know, that, there, was even, there was even a callback. A bit of like the zither theme from The Third Man crops in at one point. And I think it's a, the movie is basically a quite a bad version of um, a pet project in that what you see in it is all of the things that the director is obsessed by and the things that the director loves and the influences on the film are very clear, but the actual product is not that good. And he doesn't really synthesize all the things that he likes. And it's odd to draw on these like noir classics with a film with a dramatically different atmosphere to that. Um, I think basically the problem is that they has, he has a mute protagonist, which is quite an ambitious thing to do because he can never talk. And that's a big part of what makes people interesting sure, <laughs> and like absolutely. expresses themselves. And he never does that. He occasionally writes things down, but he is broadly speaking a kind of stoical sort of uh, strong silence type sort of man with no name almost kind of character and you can you sort of feel as though he felt like that was not necessarily interesting enough or did not sustain the movie by itself and so there are a lot of the scenes with um paul rudd and justin threw who are both very garrulous and basically the complete opposite to him in every single way um sort of loud rude vulgar violent and he's sort of you know placid kind and everything but the result is a film that just feels tonally a bit all over the place um, I thought although the, the those characters, the Paul Rudd, uh, Justin Three characters, reminded me a bit of a Neil Gaiman story or something like that. They're a bit of this kind of like hitman double act thing um, yeah. that crops up in like adult fantasy. Absolutely, you know, I've seen that in a few in a few different things, um, and it lends it this tone uh, which um, just makes all the other stuff look drab. And it and it feels like I can imagine a version of this movie which is you know, an intense Nicholas Winding Refn type film, you know, about a guy who's just like wandering the dark streets trying to find his girlfriend and you being absorbed in the atmosphere of, of that type of film. But it kind of spoils it by having all of these scenes of these like bickering, funny, you know, uh, like wacky hitmen guys, um, which just feels like it's been transplanted from a different film. And as a result, it's never quite clear how seriously to take any of it. And when it goes on some certain tangents in the plot, which are extremely horrifying and like, you know, very brutal, they just it just feels a bit inappropriate. And like he didn't, the whole thing is a bit like he didn't really know how to handle the material. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, it's oddly, it's all oddly thrown together, and it feels like weirdly paced, tonally weird, and uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a strange beast. Feels a bit like a first draft. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the fact that, I mean, it's kind of odd because as you're saying so much of the talk about this movie is about how it was like his passion project and i think he wanted it to be his debut film and then uh he couldn't get off the ground so he made you know moon instead but it does feel like a debut film 
and someone who's made a few other films at the same time and that like a lot of it i think like there are little moments that like are quite accomplished and uh it's kind of like well put together in like you know the shots are good and it's obviously be slick someone yeah who knows sort of what they're doing but at the same time it does feel like the film student who watched blade runner way too many times and things are in it just because like you're saying it's what he likes and the biggest sort of example of that is the fact that like it doesn't really need to be set in the future like the whole future setting doesn't really serve the plot at all and yeah. no, almost nothing that happens hinges around it being the future yeah you could pretty much remake the entire film with the same script but just set it now and yeah and, and i have nothing you know i have no problem with a film just set in the future just because it's a fun place to set something but the movie isn't fun enough or zippy enough to like justify like you know I don't know, like a movie like Total Recall or whatever. Even though, and obviously a lot of those plots are like futuristic, but like the fun of that movie is like, it's the space airport and it's the, you know, just all the wacky gadgets and, you know, the production design. But the production design is very generic. It's like, it's, you know. It's just it's, a collection of stuff that he likes from different things, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, if it's about anything, which I'm sure it is, like at the <laughs> end, it, like, it, 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 the film ends with a tribute to his dad and uh, also his um, nanny who... um who looked after him like when he was growing up in Berlin because he's obviously the son of Bowie the son of Bowie as he's known uh, yeah. <laughs> to his friends and I think it's it's sort of about how the characters mute because the decisions were made by the parents and how children are powerless and there's a sort of thing about Paul Rudd and his kid and he thinks he's doing the best for her but she's, she's growing up in this kind of quite terrible environment he seems oblivious to he's constantly leaving her at a brothel and stuff and it's sort of like gesturing towards a thematic arc which the movie never coalesces around yeah but it definitely you know it's not it's someone it's definitely like a vision there it's hard to hate because it's made with a lot of love and but yeah no i definitely didn't hate it i mean there's there's definitely there's a long laundry list of things you can moan about the movie but i didn't hate it i mean i guess it's a bit like warcraft or something where it's like a hi- highly flawed film but i think warcraft is actually better than this movie yeah it's hearts in the right place yeah but it's like yeah it's very hard to uh to hate too much what? sorry well, I have two more gripes. Can I can I give my gripes quickly? I've got a thing I like about the movie. Okay. So Why don't you go gripe? I'll gripe like, and you can say something else. Gripe. Okay, gripe like gripe. Let's go in that order. I was going to say, like, you, you were saying, like, how you, you don't necessarily mind a high-concept science fiction film that doesn't feel like it needs to be set in the future, but it's just fun. Yeah. And I think that's definitely true for, like, uh, things that are just wacky adventures or, or yeah, films yeah, that, are, that yeah. are action adventure films, like The Fifth Element or, like, Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Yeah. But I don't think that really works for like things that are cyberpunk or things that are noir because both those genres have, which are obviously, you know, have a lot of um, crossover or similarities between them, um, have uh, revolve around a sense of place. And like the city is a very important thing in film noir. And uh, the third man or whatever is like about a place and time very clearly that informs the entire thing. So just putting it in like generic, sad future city robs it of its power because if it's you know if, if you're setting it in the future then it has to be about something that you give you bring to it you know it's not just an exploration of an existing place but it's a new place that you've invented and that has to be like that's like critical to it and any kind of it's just like odds to create what is effectively a dystopia but where that's just pure window dressing like dystopia is uh, uh, should be about informing an idea you know there's got to be a critique of society involved in any dystopia yeah absolutely. so it's not just like oh he's just in a place that's a bit dark and miserable and the, the clubs are a bit shit you know like that's just like a weird 
it's a weird way to approach it. Yeah, this grease mega mix is just always on. <laughs> <laughs> Never any bangers. Yeah. I would say I did really like the score by Clint Mansell. Oh, the score's I, really good. I agree with that. And yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, he's always good. He did the moon score in High Rise. And I feel like some of the shots, like at the beginning, when it's just uh, not that much is going on, but they're just like this quite nice synthy soundscape and like shots of pretty lights. So I was like, I'm sort of into this. Yes, absolutely. It's all kind of tying together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I felt like it gave it, you know, a lot of the atmosphere is from the score, not necessarily the rest of the film. No, no, I agree. There's a funny. Um section on the wikipedia uh, page for this movie where it talks about the score for mute and um there's like three paragraphs of clint mansell talking about his like different influences and stuff and it's like you put so much work into this score man <laughs> it just seems like there's more kind of thought and care has gone into the score than than the creation of the rest of the world um here's my second gripe i think it's a bit of a th- unfortunate throwback um in terms of like, his treatment of women in that that's the other problem with like drawing on the in like influences is that shit women characters and it's extremely true in this movie like yeah. women have nothing to do the central female character is like not well treated by the film whatsoever and yeah it's just a bit disappointing Was she the only you just got to ask more of oh, no, your films like this yeah most of the characters are prostitutes female characters yeah there's one little girl there's one who says nothing basically and there's one sort of like you know one's just the MacGuffin. yeah yeah exactly one's just like the woman and they have about three scenes of setting up their romance at the beginning instead of one or whatever as though that's gonna make up for it but <laughs> it doesn't really <laughs> it's yeah so so i thought that was a bit a bit of a shame yeah you know <laughs> i don't know it's just a very it feels like it, it's really feels very netflixy it feels like the product of this uh netflix department that will throw money at anything um, as long as it can make a nice trailer and i mean it's not as bad as bright by any means but it does feel like a similar thing where it's like no one at netflix actually knows how to make movies and they don't give you production notes and they're just like do whatever you want and uh you just get these messes turn up and it just films feels like a mess a bit come on netflix invest in some better stuff you know yeah, you got all this money throwing around just like yeah make better movies my favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So, when I was editing the most recent episode, you know, we like to drop in a little bit of funny, like, dialogue or some relevant clip at the end. That's what we do. And I didn't know what to do, so I was just sort of browsing around YouTube trying to find something. And what I did in the past is just try to find, like, some amusing, angry, right-wing online nerd uh, yakking about. I can't remember who I picked before, but it was, like... Oh, yeah, the Phantom Bread guy was amazing. Right, yeah, yeah, this, like, guy who absolutely fucking hated Phantom. It's like, oh, my God, fuck this movie. Um... Oh no, that was the Jet, the Last Jedi guy. Maybe I've done the Phantom Thread guy and the Last Jedi guy. I don't know. Anyways, Jennifer Lawrence is adopting a character. Um, Fuck this movie! <laughs> I watched three minutes of it. And I turned it off. Yeah, I think it was a guy who hated the Last Jedi. But it, but anyway, so I was trying to find, I was trying to find something like that, and it occurred to me to uh, look up something by Jordan Peterson, who a lot of people are talking about now. He's this right wing uh, professor type in the US. I don't know exactly what his background is, but he's got some kind of academic background. And he's being hailed as this great new right-wing intellectual and someone that's, who's like... That's an oxymoron. He's taking on the, uh, you know, left-wing liberal nostrums. Oh, and no. He's packing out the theatres with all these, like, alienated young men and, you know, destroying Marxism and cultural, you know, oh, left-wing shit, really? stuff. He's, he's, he's not politically correct, is he? That kind of thing. Cool. He's got some new book out, which is, like, top of the Amazon bestseller list, and it's called something like 12 Rules for Living Your Life Great and something like that. So, but I hadn't seen that much of him talk. I just heard him like made fun of 
Uh, but I vaguely assumed, because there's a few videos of him talking about movies, and I assumed that he would say some, like, dumb shit. Like, I remember seeing uh, Stefan Molyneux, who's one of the, another one of his YouTuber types. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about how, like, uh, Beauty and the Beast is, like, uh, white genocide propaganda or something because it's encouraging women not to breed. or It's, like, some random shit like that. Cool. Absolutely incomprehensible nonsense. So, so I thought I would be able to find stuff like that from him. Um, but I was thoroughly disappointed, unfortunately. And the main problem was not that he was actually good or interesting, but that it was just like, it was so boring. And and it was just, it fascinates me that that he's a phenomenon. He's got a real Kermit the Frog-ass voice. And um, his mode of analysis, like I found this video that was called something like uh, uh, stunning, mind-blowing Harry Potter analysis from Jordan Peterson or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was, well, I didn't know what to expect exactly, but it was just like a video of him giving a lecture. And his analysis is literally just like listening to someone at the pub vaguely trying to join the dots between uh, literary and religious references and like this bit of pop culture. And people are like, wow, that's so mind blowing. So he just talks about how like, he's talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Right. And he's just like, the basilisk represents learning and being turned to stone is like when you're afraid of learning something new and so harry has to defeat the basilisk you know it's like it's just it's just shit like that like it's but, but he defeats it by stabbing the book destroying the book so I, how can that be i don't i can't remember how this like works in his thing the bit that i found super implausible is when he's like he does these kinds of calls out to his students to make, to make him involved which is just asking him to recall like incredibly basic things about about the story so he's like and who runs hogwarts do you remember that scene from Black Dynamite where they're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, finding all the connections between things? Okay, like, this. and the Roman god of war is like, Ares. <laughs> it's like it's basically like that. So he's like, he's like, and who runs uh, Hogwarts? And and the guy's like Dumbledore. It's like that's right, Dumbledore. And so Dumbledore is basically the god of Hogwarts and uh, the Phoenix. And and what is the Phoenix a symbol of? And someone's like uh, rebirth or something. He's like that's right, a symbol of rebirth. And uh, what happened to God's uh, son? You know. And he's like he was also reborn. It's like that's right. So the Phoenix is Jesus. Dumbledore uh. is God. It's like. Phoenix isn't Jesus. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Forks is Jesus. How does Forks? <laughs> forks is. <laughs> I mean, I like Forks. Don't get me wrong. He's a perfectly surely Harry's Jesus because in the last book he dies and he comes back. Yeah, right? well then, well he he seems to realise that he's he's talking absolute shit with the with the the Phoenix is Jesus point because then he talks about how like at the end of the last book. He's, you know, Harry goes through like this Christ-like uh, death and resurrection, and anyway, it's just a total mess. It's just, <laughs> it was just like it was just an absolute, absolute mess. Okay, I won't watch that then. Don't watch that. You were never going to, and I can now tell you, don't. Just watch Atlanta instead. Season two's back uh, tomorrow. I'm very excited for it. Watch Atlanta. Watch Queer Eye. I've watched all Queer Eye. Just, just fucking stormed through it. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's only eight, eight episodes. Demolished it, mate. Demolished it, mate. Just wrecked, absolutely wrecked. He wrecked, <laughs> smashed it, didn't I? <laughs> um, it's great. Really good. You should watch it. No, I do. There's so many things I mean to, I mean to catch up on, Danny. But I'm afraid I don't have time. I'm trawling YouTube, watching absolutely boring videos. Of course. Anyway, uh, join us next week. We'll be giving a lowdown of the Oscars. What happened? Did they get the right names this year? That's Did right, Jimmy the Oscars, Kimmel yeah. own Matt Damon, or is he just persona non grata these days? The ultimate own. The ultimate own. <laughs> <laughs> Expelled from the industry. 
And uh, I'll be reviewing, I think, a fantastic woman's out. It might be the best Oscar winner next week. We don't know. I haven't seen that. Did you see it at the LFF? I saw the LFF. Fantastic woman. Yeah, I've got to catch up on that one. And maybe something else. All right. Until then, stay alive. <laughs> Lock all the doors. <laughs> Try and don't go outside. It's too cold. It's too cold. It's too cold. Have some soup and watch um, some movies and you know hug your loved ones close. Stay huggy. Stay yeah. soupy. Stay alive. See you next time. Bye. How long have you known you were going to be the next James Bond? How long have you been holding out for his name, uh, Daniel Craig? Um, it's been a couple of months. Uh, and we, we've been discussing it. Wow. We've just been trying to sort of figure things out. But I, I always wanted to. Uh, I, I needed a break. You didn't I mean, always want to because no, uh, oh, oh, oh. you said at an interview, <laughs> after you finished Spectre, Mr. I always wanted to, you said, I, when somebody asked you I'm if you wanted to, to be Bond, mind. you said, I'd rather slash my wrist than play James Bond again. I can't believe you've got that written of down course, there. Of course. Um, I have a terrible memory. People have to write things down for me. So there was a time when you didn't want to be the next it was, Look, I, I, there's no point in making excuses about it but it was two days after I finished shooting the last movie sure. I went straight into an interview and someone said would you do another one okay. and I went no I, and I, instead of saying something you know um, with <laughs> style and, and grace I gave a really stupid answer are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns